0: Fred, Jerry, and Scott helped us out working through Hebrews chapter 12, and so this is the first part of that teaching.
1: Good deal, Mark. Hey, would you start for us and uh, read the end of uh, chapter 11 all the way to 12.3? How about 11.32? And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, um, um, this group in the, in the hall of faith. And, and, uh, this is no ordinary group when you watch what they went through. Um, good night. So Mark, if you would start us on that, um, then we'll go to, go to work.
0: Okay. This is Hebrews eleven thirty two. <clears throat> and what more shall I say for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight
1: Scott, for four months now, I've been excited to hear you talk about uh, twelve, one to three. But before that happens, Papa, why uh, the hall of faith? Why this chapter of faith for these these readers who are being persecuted? Some don't you think? Uh, this this group that he's writing to. Um, what's he What's he doing to bolster them?
2: Well, you know, it's it's amazing to me again, and I, I like to go and read this chapter just all by itself, only because every paragraph, every character, every section begins by faith, by faith, and and they didn't have they had the promises, uh, they had the, the the shadow, but they didn't have Jesus, but they were looking forward, and 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 you know when you read. When Mark read this section 32, uh, you know, down through I guess uh, 40, <clears throat> you think we got problems. I mean, you know, they suffered, you know, but by faith they stepped out because uh, faith is not faith is, that is not seen is not uh, not hope or something like that. And 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 but they had hope. They had the assurance of things so forth. The conviction of not seen. Uh, of things not seen so you know i'm just uh, encouraged i guess uh, you know every time I get i get discouraged mm-hmm. because of a little ache or a little pain i go to to being sawn into and yeah and I, I don't feel so bad
1: right the the uh and that it must be that faith is the answer to discouragement to walking through trials through all that they had once again looking ahead to their future reward, realizing that what is future is as good as done because God's promised it, banking on those promises. Now, that's that's good. Scott, um, anything from that into chapter 11 before we get to the moment we've been waiting for with you on one through three?
3: I thought Mark was so helpful on this. Uh, maybe, Mark, you could talk a little bit on chapter 11, sort of how it uh, the prosperity teaching sort of loves part of it. And there's a point where they kind of probably want to do Thomas Jefferson kind of deal and start chopping uh, chopping up some of that. Maybe you could talk about that again, because I thought that was really helpful, what, what you had said before. I know I'm, I'm batting this off to Mark real quick on, on that, but I thought that was really good.
0: Well, just even before I get to that, just to even answer that question, I'll, kind of something maybe it's important to clarify. In the last 20 years or so, there's been a massive recovery of sort of gospel-centered terminology and gospel-centered teaching which is wonderful obviously we love the fact that the gospel has become very central i think that the i wasn't around for the 70s jerry but for the or fred 1870s for fred but i the 70s the 70s 80s and 90s got a bad reputation for being moralistic in the bad sense to where everything was boiled down to a moral do good do better and don't be a bad kid boy girl youth group was oftentimes sort of trivial in that sense it it was kind of legalistic and so i think we always react to things that we grew up with that we didn't like and sometimes we overreact right we pendulum swing the other way and i think that maybe it's being corrected now i think there was a few years where the evangelical reform movement in America almost resisted bringing morals out of Old Testament stories, because we had so reacted to that, that we almost said, no, unless it's just the gospel only in David and Goliath or Daniel and the Lions, then we've got nothing else to learn except the gospel. And I want to say, uh, we can have both. We we can see Jesus in these stories, and we can see Jesus as the true and better Moses and the true and better Exodus, but we can also do what 1st Uh, Corinthians 10 says, which is the the death of the wilderness generation happened as examples, types, for us on whom the end of the ages has come. And Romans 14, I think it is, or 15, says the same thing. that These these were written for us as examples. So Hebrews 11 is absolutely pointing to Jesus. I mean, this faith, like Fred said, is pointing to Jesus. So we should read these stories in light of the finished work of Jesus, which is where it ends, right? Chapter 11 segues into Jesus. Don't consider Jesus, verse 3. And so amen to the Old Testament is all about Jesus, but also Hebrews 11 is about learning moral lessons about the faith from these great saints. And so mm-hmm. we should also have the faith of Abraham, the faith of Moses, the faith of Noah, the faith of Enoch, the faith of Joseph, Isaac, and Jacob. We should really imitate their faith. We really should learn from their example. So I think that it's a both-and here, and we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater on either side. And getting to Scott's point here, clearly, what, one of the things we learn is that some people face uh, real um, advantages in circumstances, and some disadvantage in circumstances, but they're all from faith, and ultimately, these are all working for their good, So, so clearly, any idea that faith always has one external result, which is prosperity, or only adversity, both of those are not true, and you never quite know what it might lead to for us on any given day. But but clearly, all of the above are the kind of responses that we'll get for our faith.
1: No, that's that's great, and that sure is true. And certainly, when we get to 12, and it starts, therefore, the connection is obvious that, therefore, this is now what we should do because we've had this great cloud of witnesses. and And the witnesses are not necessarily those watching us but those that um, have set an example, is that, is that the idea, Mark?
0: Yeah, no, I do think that uh, that is the picture. I, I saw on Twitter a while back that um, – is it a walk-off home run when you win the game? Yeah. Okay, I, somebody I, – I don't know baseball terminology, but they said that this guy collects pictures of walk-off home run pictures that are taken down third base toward home plate from the outfield. And the the one picture I saw, which was for the Cubs, was, I don't know who it was, this guy was rounding third base with his hands out like he's flying, and uh, everybody's cheering, and the whole team is gathered at home plate, and everybody's jumping up and down, and people are screaming, and all the crowd in the background is screaming, and the guy goes, I love those pictures because they make me think about heaven, and I think he's talking about this concept. We, we are running the bases, and for us, it's not a fun journey. It's a, it's a painful life of difficulty, adversity. Those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. So we're, we're having all kinds of ups and downs. Well, we got to keep in mind as we round the bases that there is a family that has already gone before us home. This includes Abraham and Noah and all the past saints, including Jesus, most importantly. And they're at home plate and they are cheering us on with their testimony and the fact that they accomplished. They made it by God's grace. And so we're coming to to meet them at home plate. And uh, I thought that was a powerful idea or image.
1: Now that that certainly is. I love it. Wow. Scott, help us there with with one through three here. Um what a, a pack for. we can spend an hour probably on these three verses
3: yeah, just uh before we, t- we sort of get there I- I'll just mention this uh This is uh Jim Elliott's journals that I- that I love that Elizabeth Elliott put together, but at the very the very back of it, she put an epilogue in, and she she wrote this uh which is uh fantastic talking about Jim and the other four men who died. She said the names of the five missionaries, Ed, Pete, Nate, Roger, and Jim, may legitimately be added, it seems to me, to that list in Hebrews 11 of those who responded to God in faith without seeing their reward, for they are among those who want a glowing testimony to their faith. They did not then and there receive the fulfillment of the promise. God had something better planned for our day, and it was not his plan that they should reach perfection without us. This leaves us with an awesome responsibility surrounded as we are by these witnesses. So let us run... The race that we have to run with patience, our eyes fixed on Jesus, the source and the goal of our faith. She quotes a paraphrase of Philip's paraphrase there at the end. But I love the way she ends that sort of you. You're inspired. We're so inspired by all of these witnesses, just like Mark is saying, people like Jim Elliot, people like Abraham in in Hebrews 11 and and women like Rahab, whatever it is. We're we're so when we study them, when we see them, we are encouraged to, to run and when we met it, like think through their lives, I think, it just spurs us on. We, it, you get excited. You want to run with endurance when you consider all these mm-hmm. faithful believers and how God has been faithful to them. I was listening to R.C. Sproul recently talking about this passage in the beginning of 12, and he mentioned Polycarp, who Polycarp was, was killed for his faith, I think, at 86 years old. And they asked him, all you have to do is renounce your faith, and we won't kill you. And, and Polycarp said something like this. He said, God has been faithful to me for 86 years. Like How can I renounce him? Now, I just so, that's just like, yes, it's so powerful, so true. We know it in our, in our life, but to hear an example like that. So I would just say the first thing, how 11 connects to 12, those witnesses really inspire us to run, uh, run hard uh, for, for the Lord. Now, getting into 12, I guess I can start with, with 12. I'll just read verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us I mean we can talk about the weight idea weight and simple. We can start maybe with just the weight idea which most people that I've read seem to say that weight is not necessarily it's not simple things it's very likely it's good things that God mm-hmm. has given to us but they, they are holding us up and Sinclair Ferguson talks about how you, if you went to an Olympic Games event and a guy came with like a jacket and a coat and like a suitcase you'd think he was insane if he's running the hundred meter dash he's dressed like that well so often we have weights in the Christian life Maybe it's good things we've made into ultimate things. And these things, we've got to to lay them aside. He said even get rid of the good for the best is the idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he, he gave these series of questions. Ferguson said, the question we need to be asking is not, is it all right for me to do this as a Christian, but rather these questions. Is this going to build up? Is this going to strengthen the fellowship of God's people? Is this going to advance my goal of running towards Jesus Christ in glory? Is this something that laying to one side will better enable me to serve Christ? And I think those are great questions. And Kevin DeYoung said about gray areas in the Christian life, maybe like movies. He said, a great question to ask is, is this something that I can really get down on my knees and thank God for after watching it? He said, if I can't, then obviously it's something we shouldn't, shouldn't partake in. I just think, Spending time maybe just discussing this weight issue is huge. So many of us, I feel like, are, have so much extra weight that we've got to get rid of to help us really run better. And don't you think, Scott, I agree. Good
1: could be the biggest enemy of best sometimes. It may not be those things that are obviously sinful, but those things that are distractions that are just less than the best, I think my day is crowded with them. Papa, do you have insight on that for us?
2: Yeah, I, I I was blessed to watch Johnny Mack and you know he's hilarious when, when he's talking about athletics and type of thing. And and on one uh, one end, too, I guess he said, you know, the Christian life is a marathon, not not a sprint. And and that that this race, uh, the the word is agony. So if you've ever run, I, I don't mean around the block, but I mean if you've ever run any sort of distance. You know, it probably you don't see a whole lot of runners that are smiling, and it's generally because it it hurts. I mean, and and um, and 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 also it mentions endurance. I mean, this is if it's a marathon, then it's a lifetime race, and you know it takes. He he gave a hilarious story. You know, he was a sprinter, so he ran the shorter races. But one time he they asked him to run the eight eighty, and that's back. In, in our days when, when those were the designations. And so he went out there like a normal sprinter and took off and he passed everybody. He was leading the pack, he said, for about a third of the race. And he said he finished dead last and he realized that he had to pace himself. So, I mean, I, I think you you have to prepare yourself for the long haul and, and whatever that means. Now, that he also mentioned that the encumbrances uh, you know it could be clothes you don't. you don't wear a warm up suit once you start running uh you know i've i've run in a number of peace tree road races and clothes are going everywhere people are throwing hats off jackets off you know as they get warm up there's no place to put them and 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 they don't want them encumbering their stride so they'll toss them onto on the side so whatever is encumbering you and it could be you know whatever you uh, you need to lay that aside and prepare for this endurance, this long-haul marathon race called life. Yeah. One other, if you don't mind, he mentioned this. I hadn't really thought a whole lot about this, but this is to the Hebrew people. So he, this is Johnny Mack, mentioned that, you know, what are these? some of these encumbrances? Could be works systems. It could be the festivals. It could be the Sabbaths. It could be the new moons. It could be all those things that they're holding on that are keeping them back from Jesus. I had re- never really thought about that. Yeah, no, that's good.
1: Mark, what do you think about the, those, those weights? And then also attack, if you would, that sin that clings so closely. Unbelief, you think?
0: Yeah, no, that's a great question. Just right before I get to that, tell me if you can see, can y'all see this? Oh, yeah. I don't know how clear it is, but that's the picture I was thinking of, of, of him rounding third. And uh, you can sort of zoom in and see the excitement. You can see the, the guy over here on uh, the third base coach. Who is that right there? And he they're screaming. And But to think, it's not just that we're running three bases and then we're home, like Fred is talking about. It's really like you're running for 80 years, maybe, and then you're home, right? So I think that thinking about this image is really encouraging, but realizing that this is not just a quick sprint around the the bases. This is something that's going to last for the the you know the rest of your life as a believer, and uh, that's that's a significant thing. I, I think that you know I'm in my early 30s. Um, I think that for me, I became a Christian at 16, and 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 something that that I, I kind of had to deal with in my 20s was this kind of this intense zeal at times, just like incredible burn down the barns zeal. But then I was a couple things. Number one, highly inconsistent myself. And then like I would have major spiritual ups and downs. But when I was up, I was like zealous, kind of in your face, probably arrogant to older people in a way that it was not okay. And I was, I was sort of sprinting, and then I would just leave the race for a while. And then I would sprint for a few days or weeks, and I would kind of leave the race for a while. And, and I think that hearing Fred is just such a healthy counter, uh, you know, counter response to how I've often thought and lived, which is, let's be faithful consistent long term what's that famous phrase a long obedience in the same direction um, th- that should be the goal a long obedience in the same direction not these fits and starts and ups and downs but just just everyday faithfulness is far more valuable than being you know burning down the barns for a few weeks and then back in the dump spiritually and up and down and up and down i mean obviously we all have up and up and down moments but just Ordinary faithfulness should be our goal. And that is how we endure. That's how you get through is, you know, if you look at someone's marathon, it's not like there's some glorious section of running there. If you looked at any hundred yards in those 26, whatever miles it is, if you look at any hundred yard part of that, it would look less than spectacular. Um, it would, it, you, you could see anything would look more spectacular than any hundred yards of a, of a, of a marathon. But when you actually look at the whole thing, it's something that is praiseworthy. It is something that's astonishing, really, that people can do that. Um, and so, I mean, the, the Christian life should be really relatively mundane, ordinary things that that have the grace mm-hmm. of God in them, and then just stretching that out over a long, a long period of time. Um, I think I lost your question in the middle of that, Jerry.
1: No, I like that. Uh, when I would, I, I've thought of another question while you're talking about that, though. What about those that are feeling like, and maybe there's a lot of us feeling like this right now, that when does the uphill part end? Like this can't be, all 26 miles can't be uphill the whole way. Like what about, what about if, you're, if someone's saying, good night, where's the downhill?
0: Man, I want to throw this back to the older Christians in the, in the Zoom room here. Friend. What
2: do you think? Well, I'm just going to use a little personal example. Um, first of all, I, I think that there are up and down hills. Um, you know, I, I I was more of a a 10K runner than anything else, but I remember running 10Ks, and, and, and in particular, the Peachtree Road Race. And uh, where Piedmont Hospital is uh, now uh, used to be called Cardiac Hill because it was a steady climb. Uh, up to about the hospital or a little beyond the hospital. Then beyond that, it sort of leveled off. And and uh, so, and it was nice. I mean, it wasn't downhill, but it was level. And, and you could really tell the difference in your gait. And and so you. I think that's a good uh, metaphor for life. I think there are going to be times when it seems like it's all uphill. And, mm-hmm. and then there are going to be times, that, and, but, but, when it is downhill or level, we have a tendency to want to coast, I think. So I think we've got to be careful and watch mm-hmm. out for those times of coasting, that we don't drift, like in Hebrews chapter 2.
1: Yeah, I like that pop-up. That's really good. I also love those three words uh, in there, set before us. So if it's uphill the whole way, that's because that's the Lord Jesus has set. That's our course. That's the road. That's the marathon that he's put in front of us because uh, it's his choice what the course is. It's the one set before us. He's the one that chooses that. We're just um, responsible to lay every weight aside and, and run this thing with, with perseverance and endurance. Scott?
3: Yeah, no, I, I think that that's fantastic uh, encouragement there. When times are tough, I'm just thinking about how uh, even when we're going to get into the discipline here, maybe Lord willing in a minute of God's goodness on the uphill climb, like seeing his faithfulness to us. Like he's doing, he's bringing maybe this uphill climb for, for a reason out of love for yes. us. He, he's doing it because maybe we're slack. Maybe we are coasting. Like Fred said, we're so prone to coast, which is just, it's terrible. Go on autopilot. I heard Tom Schreiner say that we go on autopilot. He was saying about the pandemic, maybe it's waking people up from, from autopilot and here we go uphill, but God and his goodness is, causing the the grade to increase in its intensity but he's he's doing that to spur us on he's doing that to pick for us to maybe pick up the pace so even in if it is an uphill think see his goodness in the in the uphill climb it's easy for me to say that but i mean for you jerry i know this is your experience too i mean a life of suffering you you would say amen to that god's goodness through through trials or or whatever it is so I, i would just say if it is an uphill climb like rest on the promises of God, see the goodness of God. There's a, an old hymn from, from a lady who suffered a lot. And there's a line that she said, when the burden increase, or it says, uh, God gives, giveth more grace. When the burden increase, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Like that idea of just when mm-hmm. the burdens are increasing, God gives more grace to get through. So I would just encourage someone who's in the uphill climb to, to see the goodness of God in that steeper. Yeah.
1: Period. Right. Not accidental. It's um, in, in had the example of God's love was uh one through um three, really, and then uh the assurance of God's love followed that um in in chapter five on the discipline part. So we are assured that this was the most loving course that God could set before us, He will only give us that one that is packed with His love. And it, whether it feels like it or not is really immaterial that that's completely beside the point. Cause it, we can't go by our feelings. We have to go by uh, the truth right here in uh, Romans 12. Now, Mark, 12 minutes ago, um, we well, were wait, asking Jerry, you, wait,
0: can I, can I just jump in with one thing before you ask that question? Sure. So, just, this is, I wanted to mention, it's just it's such a great life verse is uh, Paul to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 verse 24. Um, it just reminds me of this race theme. In Acts 20:24 20, 24, Paul says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Let me read that just one more time. I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It just that idea, Paul knows the Lord has given him a course. He, has, he, has, he knows where he's going here. I mean, he doesn't know, but God knows where he's going, and he's, he's trusting the Lord. And he says, I don't care what happens to me as long as I'm faithful to my commission. Mm-hmm. As long as I do what the Lord has set before me to do, the good deeds prepared beforehand to walk in, the Ephesians 2.10 deeds, as long as I'm doing those till the day I drop I am happy to go to heaven after that. I don't. I don't have any other alternative motive with my life. My life has no value except to finish this course, this race that the Lord has laid out in front of me. So I just thought that was a good parallel passage. The,
1: the number of athletic um, examples or, or uh, word pictures that the, Paul gives us is, is fascinating. He certainly must have been in love with sports, and um, and I think that for those of us that are, we need to see them, not let them become. A Which oftentimes, for me, uh, they're a weight that I need to lay aside, but instead to say, these things can teach us some things that sports aren't sinful in themselves, unless they become ultimate, like Scott said. But um, how about this sin with cling so closely, Mark?
0: Yes, so uh, 12, one again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And sin, which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, it seems like the ultimate goal Satan has and the ultimate goal our flesh would have, or just sin in general, is to get us to not finish the race. <clears throat> and, you know, the old saying, you know, it takes a small hole to sink a large ship. And uh, it could be a very small sin that destroys someone's entire life. Uh, I'm not trying to sound dramatic, that's just, that's just true. Um, it could be very small compromises early on that lead to larger and larger problems. That James 1, the, the desire gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. It, it's always leading towards hell. It's always dragging away from Christ. It's always trying to destroy your marriage and your family and your job and your everything. It's your soul. It just wants to take everything. The, Peter talks about the, the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And so I think he's saying every sin, any sin, is going to be a stumbling block to your race, and uh, left unchecked, you may not finish that race. And this is not this is not a threat about losing your salvation. That's so clear. But Hebrews has a lot of warnings. I mean, if there's one, it just don't leave Jesus. He's better than everything else. Don't leave him. And that's in chapters what every chapter almost, but ten especially six. It's just mm-hmm. so clear. And so he's saying if we compromise with sin, it could not just trip us up here and there. It could it could permanently bring us out of the race if we we're not careful. And we might prove ourselves to be uh, not genuine believers. And so he's saying, no, no, we, we've got to get rid of that stuff. We've got to take that stuff seriously because uh, the compromises only get worse. The habit forming in sin only becomes more fatal and, and terrible. And, and we've got to take it seriously and, and deal with it. And that is the way we get freedom to keep running, to keep, to keep, to keep, uh, enduring in this, in this race.
1: It seems like, um, that that's great. And this in that clings so closely, it seems like many believe that could most maybe specifically be unbelief, you know, coming off the uh, chapter about faith here. And so Mark, I know that you've uh, shared clearly that, or openly that you've struggled with that maybe early on more than you do now. I just kind of, and unbelief could this all not really be real uh, could you address somebody that's fighting that right now just saying well i keep going into these doubts uh just unbelief that satan is trying to do just like he tried to get adam and eve to do it in the garden doubt god's love or or doubt um all these truths that we see in scripture how do you um address those
0: yeah i mean i i have a kind of a I, I can be the guy, if I get on an airplane, I think it's going to crash. That is me. And so I, I kind of think like the worst possible thing is, is like 100% sure to happen. Um, so with my salvation, I, I had two huge doubts. One was, am I really a Christian? And I struggle with that a lot. I'm not, not today like I used to, but I used to struggle with that constantly. And then the other one was, is Christianity even true at all? Uh, which is funny because I didn't really struggle with that until I really became a Christian. Uh, up until then, I just sort of took it for granted. But I, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, you, you might assume you trust a rope to hold something up until you're hanging off a cliff by that same rope. And then your your faith in that rope becomes a little different in your perspective. And I think that my Christianity was so casual, I just assumed it was true, because who cares, really? And, and then when I became a genuine Christian... Then it was a matter of eternal life and death, and then I was questioning everything. Because, I mean, there is some wisdom to say, ask the hardest questions, seek the answers that you can, pray with all you've got, like, do all that you can if, if it really is. If we're talking about eternal life and actual damnation, like, if those are real things, then, oh, my goodness, we don't want to take treat this casually at all. And so, uh, th- those is Christianity true, am I a Christian, were the two battles that, for the first, probably— six or seven years of my Christian, I mean, maybe longer. That was just a constant onslaught between those two things. And just real quickly, I mean, getting, getting older, wiser Christians around you uh, and talking to them and asking questions and hearing their answers was huge. Uh, Christian apologists who I listened to were extremely helpful to me, and reading some books about that. And then for my assurance, I think it's just The longer you walk with the Lord, the more you believe he's obviously there. I mean, there there are so many things that happen where you just know intuitively, deeply, profoundly, I I can't make sense out of anything without Jesus, and everything makes sense with Jesus. What alternative worldview makes half the sense out of the world? I mean, atheism makes really no sense to me at all. I'm not saying that, you know, if, if someone wants to talk to me about that, I'd love to talk. But I mean... those things just don't make any sense to me about fundamental realities. And so Jesus just makes sense out of everything. And after these years, I have just come to believe that the Lord has regenerated my heart with all the flaws I still have. I really do see the Lord at work in in a way that makes me think I'm a believer, but um, there are still days where I do ask questions that, that, that is
3: true.
1: Yeah. Scott, um, I have to say that when I read, those first three words in chapter twelve, verse two, looking to Jesus. Um, I I want to do that more because of the time that you have uh, invested in us in our church. You have been fantastic at helping us to keep our eyes on Jesus, and I'm so grateful for that. And I think that there would be a hundred of us that would say that about your uh, constant emphasis from confessionals to book club to uh preaching um to just any time talking to you and so help us to to understand um your just perspective from verse two
3: yeah well i, I thank you jerry so much you're, you're about to make me cry uh with your encouragement i actually told the Liana, uh Recently, when we were watching these videos with you and Alan and Mark on, on uh, the Corinthians passage, and I said "Watch Jerry like he's just constantly encouraging He encourages Alan he's encouraging Mark. So I mean, just thank you for, for your encouragement there. You, you've got the gift of encouragement, no, no doubt about it. But I was reading this uh, commentary. And they told this story that was, that was really helpful. It was, the, it was 1954. These two men, the only two men in, in that time who had broken the four minute mile, uh, Roger Bannister and a guy named John Landy, and they were going to race against each other in this race and Landy apparently shot off ahead and Bannister was behind him. And I think after the third lap, Bannister was slowly closing the gap. And then it was the very last lap. They were almost neck and neck, but Bannister was right behind Landy as they were coming around. I think the final turn, the crowd was cheering and Landy made sort of this fatal mistake. He just, for a split second, he looked down to his side and looked back to see uh, where Bannister was. And in that moment, Bannister went around him on the right side. And I thought that's such a perfect picture of, when we take our eyes off of Jesus, we're going to stumble, we're going to fall, we're not going to do well, we've got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, and it's almost as if, yes, Jesus has gone before us, and he's and we're encouraged by that, but we're running to him, like we're running to the finish line, like at Mark's picture of home plate, well, Jesus is there at the home plate, so much better than, you know, the Cubs team, Jesus is there saying, well done, good and faithful servant, we were even talking about this last night on Zoom, like I look, to Jesus and I see his the nail prints in his hands and his feet you know the spear mark in his side I see him like that standing there waiting and it just it just spur, spurs you on uh to run faithfully when when you remember his suffering and it takes uh, uh hard thought is what one guy said we have to think about all that he went through. It's not just like a quick thing. Oh, oh yeah, Jesus died for me. You really have to slow down and, and think through all, all he's done, but then think that we're running towards it. I mean, that, that should spur us on like no other. I, there, in the, the John Newton book by Tony Reinke, he I think Newton said that ministers should labor to get clear views of, of the glory of Christ before their people regularly. And it's just so true. I mean, we all need clear views of the glory of Christ before us because that, I think, will really help us lay aside weight, man, we don't want to mess around with sin. When we, when I see that Christ has paid for me, like, why, how, how am I going to mess with sin? I'm going to, I'm going to lay it aside. I'm going to lay aside these weights. I'm, I want to run and, and keep looking to Jesus.
1: Yeah. The comparison there, Jesus is always better once we really take a good look at him than, uh, than anything else. Good. Papa, any thoughts on that?
2: Well, you mentioned, uh, the- Again, the, the running uh, metaphor that Scott mentioned, these guys running the mile up. Carter said, "You know when you're running, you don't look at your feet he said that's, that's, that's the cardinal sin of a runner. You don't look down at your feet, you look at where you're going. Number one, you don't want to run into somebody in front of you and, and, and then too, there's always the finish line, and of course, for us, the finish line is Jesus, the author or the author and perfector of our faith. So don't take our eyes off of
1: Jesus. Yeah. Now that's, that's, that's really good. And also gives, now I know why I kept finishing like second last all the time. I was looking at my feet. Should have met you 40 years ago, Papa. Uh, th- this verse three, it's, it is amazing. We do see that the race isn't going to be easy. I think at the end of verse two for the joy set before him, Jesus, for the joy set before him endured the cross. Um, and certainly we've challenged from all over scripture that, Uh, Jesus, he endured, uh, believers will too. Mark, you talked about that with the health, wealth, and prosperity nonsense. We get to this point and we see even Jesus looked forward. This was interesting in a different way to me this week than I think ever before, realizing that Jesus was in that battle with faith himself in a way. And yet he looked forward how much more important is it that we look forward that we keep our eyes on eternal things that we set our mind and our heart and our eyes on jesus on things above not on earthly things and he knew there was going to be great joy before him that's what was coming and so the uphill i think mark you said that you don't see the runners with a smile um only are thinking about the finish line and the, uh, the three-topping uh, pizza that's going to be at the end there. <laughs> then there. Then there's the smile. So it's not because of the part of the race they're running, but it's to look ahead to it, Mark.
0: Yeah, I mean, this, this kind of goes back to the whole desiring God concept, but th- the idea that we should be deeply motivated by righteous joy and that that should get us through horrific circumstances isn't just biblical and it's certainly not selfish, because if it's selfish to be motivated by joy in the midst of suffering, then Jesus was sinning on the cross, which makes no mm-hmm. sense. So, I mean, when you think of Jesus in Gethsemane, it wasn't like this was, this was some, some fun, happy experience. It was the worst imaginable situation you could be in as far as suffering goes, and he was experiencing the weight of that and stumbling around. But as he thought about it, he had to have been—what had to have gotten Jesus to say yes— I'm going to obey my father in his humanity. What had to have gotten was trusting God that this was the far better option, even though it led to the cross. And so um, he looks to that joy in the future and it helps him endure that incredible shame and pain and uh, separation from the father in our sin, like all that nightmare. Jesus embraces it willingly because there's this joy out there in the future. And if Jesus was motivated by that kind of holy joy, we have to imitate him. That's the whole point. We've got to do the same thing. And so the, the key of the Christian life is to keep the fires of joy burning in our heart. This is the George Mueller, I read the Bible to get my soul happy in the Lord every morning. I mean, the, the fight of the Christian life is to have the kindles stirred in the fireplace of our heart so that the flame burns, There's there's a real love for the Lord, and that gets us through really difficult days and really pleasant days. But, but the only way to endure is to have this joy in the future. Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, having finished the work God gave him to do, knowing that he has saved his bride and honored his father. I'm sure those were all parts of the joy there. And we should have a similar kind of, uh, of joy that, that keeps us going to the end.
1: Yeah, you must have talked to Scott too, because now you're uh, quoting Mueller. You've got <laughs> winners. We're, have our, we're supposed to um, consider the winners that great cloud of witnesses, then consider ourselves to take every weight off sin that so easily uh, entangles us. And then Jesus, finally. And, and I love that he's not just our example. He is our example, but he's also our enabler. He is the one that's going to give us the grace to run this race. In fact, there's no chance. Like if, if he had only been our example, I was reading about this this week, I was a really bad athlete and now even a worse athlete uh, (laughs) after I broke my neck, but started bad as an athlete. Had someone had, I just, and I watched more football than anybody until I was 17. I saw so many great examples of football players and I was still no good at it, but I think that here's the good news is that, we are not just seeing Jesus as an example. He is also the one that enables us to run, to run the race. Any thoughts on that, Papa, verse 3, 4?
2: Well, you know, I also think, yes, yes Jesus is an example because we look to him. He's the, again, we already talked about the, the author and perfecter of our faith. But uh, I think we, we should exhort one another. I, I believe that's scripture. And, 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 you know, I think that, uh, that particularly in times like this, I think we can be an encouragement to one another just by picking up the phone and and, and calling somebody saying, how you doing? How you, how's your race going? Are you looking at your feet? Uh, Are you looking, you know, to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith? So, I mean, I think, uh, yes, yes, we look to Jesus. Yes, we look to the word, but I think we look also in the church, we look to one another. Mm -hmm. Scott.
3: Yeah, I'm, I just wanted to get Mark to comment on, on one thing before we rush past that, the, the sin, uh, which clings so closely. One guy said it's like a branch that comes out and trips us out. I just wanted to, just because it may be possible that some people during this time of social isolation, maybe some people that will listen to this are sort of playing around with sin, that they shouldn't be playing around. And I thought, Mark, if you could tell the story of the commercial, I think with the bear, uh, the shampoo commercial or something like that. I remember they brought the bear on and then there was a lady with the bear. And like, if you could tell that story and try to, maybe wake somebody up who maybe, I don't know, somebody who maybe is playing around with sin and really for all of us to remember the the danger of sin and uh, just maybe tell that story.
0: Yeah. This, this kind of makes me think of the Esau story coming up in a minute here. Um, But um, yeah, I think I heard this from Matt Chandler back years ago, but they were filming a, a commercial and, uh, well, I, I, there's different versions of this, because this has happened more than once. But the, the one I actually saw was a bear commercial. There was an actual bear, like a huge bear, in the studio next to, like, a woman. And the bear just sort of snapped and started to attack the woman. It's horrifying. And uh, the trainer can't, you know, it's just like cameras are getting knocked around. This is back in the probably the 70s or 80s. And um, they finally get it under control. I don't think anyone died, but it was, it was this terrifying thing. Well, you know, how could... How could that happen? Well, we look at that like these people are crazy. What were you thinking? You have, uh, I think Matt Chandler said you have basically the apex predator. Like you have this like killer animal in there that's just waiting to do what it's designed to do, which is pull out its claws and just attack because everything that breathes is food. And so we think we can domesticate and homebreak and we can domesticate this wild animal. We can put it in the corner of the room, put it in a chair like in this huge chair next to a woman and just film a TV commercial because we can, we can train this thing. And Matt Chandler said what happened with that bear is what's going to happen when you domesticate your sin. You, mm-hmm. you, everyone kind of thinks that we can, we can housebreak our sin. We can sort of bring it in. We can sort of train it how to work and, and put it in its corner and keep it there and keep it safe and sort of off to the side, and no one's really going to know or care, and we can kind of manage our sin. And he said, well, you're, you're dealing with something that came to steal, kill, and destroy your whole life. And so you're trying to keep this poison, this, this ferocious animal alive in the corner. And it, it is going to do what that bear did. It is going to do what it did to David when he was king in the, in the spring. Uh, David's trying to domesticate some sin. Before you know it, the Bathsheba-Uriah thing happened. So that, that animal tore him apart in a way he could not have dreamed 10 minutes before he looked at Bathsheba. There's no way 10 minutes before Bathsheba sighting happened, that David had a clue he was even capable of what he was about to do in the next three months. And yet he did all of it and more. And so th- that's the idea. We, we should not domesticate this, th- those things. Instead, we should run to the Lord with his arms wide open and say, get this thing away from me. Help me. Save me from my sins. That's your name, right? Your name is Jesus. You will save your people from your sin. So please do what your name is, which is rescue me from this, deliver me from this. And, and the Lord obviously is gracious to do that.
1: It's great. 100 percent of the time it's destructive. Scott?
3: Yeah, no, that, that was that was that was fantastic. Uh, yeah. Uh, you're you're saying three and four though, any more on three and yeah, four? Yeah,
1: anything more on that. It's interesting about the shedding of, of blood. Um, you know, it, it was as if uh the writer here is saying, you guys will never go to Jesus is gone um in, in shedding blood. And so just continue to persevere. I, it almost reminds me as I got to quit whining about my issues.
2: I didn't understand you.
1: Um, I, was, I, w- I was thinking about with this, where we're, um, no one has gone here. He said, Don't grow weary or faint hearted um, in your struggle against sin. You have not resisted to the point of um, shedding your blood. And so there's always we don't have an excuse to uh, give into this sin, um, this sin of unbelief or or any other sin here. Um, Scott, any other thoughts from
3: three and four? Yeah, I just remember uh, we talked about this a long time ago at at Book Club. I think this idea, this verse maybe. And for me, certainly, I, I think I picture Jesus in the garden. Like sweating drops of blood in, in that moment, and uh, we talked about how so often we're so quick to give in to sin. I think we're we're not even near this level of of fighting against sin. Uh, and I think Grant Crane uh, mentioned that night that that was like this turning point for him, where he really I think began to really try to battle against his sin. You know, by the power of the Spirit and everything. But he had before this before we talked about this. I think there was this sort of lighthearted, not really really struggling as much as we, we could against sin. And I think for him, that was this big moment of where he was really going to try to fight harder, which I think just like you're saying, like so often we just complain or we just, we just sin just like that without any kind of battle against it. Uh, so, yeah, there should be encouragement from this, just considering Jesus and how, how much he went through as well in our own fight against sin.
1: Yeah, and if, and if we look to him, he'll never say no in, the, in helping us. There, there is a 100% success rate in, the, in going to the word and looking to the Lord Jesus. Papa, anything from three and four there?
2: Well, just on the subject of sin again, I think sometimes we, uh, when we bring that word up, we want to uh, ask what sin or which sin or, or try to identify the sin. And, and it's interesting, MacArthur uh, brought up one of my favorite dead guys, uh, J.C. Ryle, in his book on holiness. Because he said this whole section really is preparing us for holiness. And, and and what do we say, Mark, in Fight Club? Fight. I mean it's it's a fight. And of course Ryle said that. I mean in his book on holiness. It's really he he directed a lot of his teaching to young men. And and uh, he said the enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. So we're carrying around one of the sin components inside of us. Uh, oh, yeah. in the flesh, that is. So, I mean, and it's very easy to just forget that sometimes until it rears its head, whether it be a bear or (laughs) a lion or whatever. And uh, so anyway, that's, I just wanted to mention Ryle, because he's, he's got, he talks down through the ages about sin.
1: Papa, that's good because no wonder it seems like a uphill battle that the, the one of the components is right inside of us deceiving us. Um, day and night really. And uh, so we need that. That's the fight.